0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and we are doing part two of what I'm calling coming to the comforter. I don't know if you ever faced any major challenges in your life, but when you do, it's so good to know that you have somebody that can be there to comfort you every step of the way. And I know of nobody else that can do that quite like the Lord Jesus Christ can. But God gives us layers of comfort. And I'm so glad that he does because sometimes one layer is going to disappoint you. When you think about how we have protection, right? I think about a blanket on top of me. And I think about the difference of the blankets that you use in the wintertime versus the blankets that you use in the summertime, right? In the summertime, you just might have a light sheet, but I don't know about you, uh, but in the wintertime, I want to layer a comforter or two on top of me to keep me warm at night. And so layers of protection allow us to experience a higher level of comfort. And so that's what God does. Uh, So the first layer we looked at yesterday was that God gives us the comfort of a family. And what a blessing a family can be. But I found that our families can sometimes be the greatest source of blessing, but sometimes they can also be the greatest source of hurt. You know, sometimes those who are closest to us will be the ones who hurt us the most, but they ought to be those who also provide the comfort for us. You know, when I think about a family, there are three institutions that God created. Number one, Was the human family one man, one woman for one lifetime? God decided that the best way to propagate and and populate the earth was through the family. And so there's a special bond that takes place between parents and their children, and a husband and a wife. and, And I'm finding there's a special bond between a grandson and a grandfather. You know, my grandson will be almost a year old, and whenever I walk in a room, uh, we call him Little Bear, and I say, hey, Little Bear, and he'll look at me. We were at the church the other day, and he was in one of these walker things, and he came running over to me in his walker as fast as he could. He couldn't get there fast enough, big smile on his face, you know, that connection, and my daughter says, man, he has bonded really well with you. And I said, well, that's because I spent a lot of time with him. And I love being a grandfather because I can spoil my grandson rotten, and then I can send him home, <laughs> right? Oh, that's a great thing, right? I remember when my kids were coming along, and my wife's mom would uh, would spoil our kids. Oh, they would come back from Mamaw's house, and we couldn't even hardly deal with them. As a matter of fact, one time Sherry said to, uh, to my kids, he said, now, listen, if you guys are going to come back from Mama's house acting like the devil, we're not going to let you go over there anymore. But I think that's the job, right, of grandparents, to spoil their grandchildren, to love on them, right, uh, to give them the comfort, even to this day. My mom, who is blessed with over 30 grandchildren, she is still the one that when the grandkids get in trouble... Uh, they call grandmother, right? And they pour their heart and soul out to her, and they'll probably get more comfort and understanding from grandma than they will from mom and dad. So the first layer is the comfort of a family. The second layer is the comfort of friendship. And I want to use as a backdrop the story of Ruth. And let me just give you an overview of what happens in the book of Ruth. Uh Naomi and Abimelech. Uh, decide because of extreme poverty and a famine in the land to move. Now, this is a Hebrew couple and they moved to Moab. And now, Moab was a Gentile, a very heathenistic country. And so uh, they moved. And, and whether or not that was the right thing to do or not is really up for debate. Some said they should have just trusted the Lord to provide, they should have stayed with their own people. Regardless, they find themselves in Moab. And so they, while they're in Moab, they have two sons. Uh, These two sons marry Moabite women, Orpha and Ruth. And things are going well for them, except uh, they get to the point where Naomi's husband, Elimelech, passes. And then the two sons pass so we have Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha, uh, who are left, and they're living in a foreign land. Well, a foreign land to Naomi, but the homeland to her two daughters-in-law. Well, Naomi says, I, I don't really belong here, and there's not nothing to keep me here. My husband's dead. My two sons have died. I'm going back home. And so as she makes her plans to go back home, her two daughter-in-laws say, well, we'll go with you. We're gonna go with you, and we've got nothing here. Our husbands have passed. Uh, we will go with you, and so they begin to make plans to go back to Bethlehem. and And as they're getting ready to leave, Ruth says, "Well, listen, you don't really need to go with me. You know, why don't you stay here, and you can find husbands here in your home country? You don't need to go with me." Well, Orpha says, "Well, you know, you're right. I think I'll stay here." But Ruth goes, and we actually quote part of what Ruth says to Naomi. Ruth, in essence, says, your God is going to become my God, and your people are going to become my people, and wherever you go is where I'm going to go. Well, we discover they moved back to Bethlehem, and and as a result of moving back to Bethlehem, there wasn't a whole lot of support for them. Uh, they didn't have Social Security For the help of those who lost their spouse, and and they find themselves in a very desperate situation, and so Ruth is wanting to help provide for the family, and so Naomi, uh, as they're coming back into their home city, says, "You know, my life has been so changed by the drastic events that I have encountered. I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. I I want you to call me Bitter because." I've been living a bitter life. And, and as she goes back, she says, we've got to figure out you know, how we're going to sustain ourselves. And In Ruth chapter 2, we discover that instructions were given to Ruth to go and find some food. And they were to go and find some food by gleaning into the fields. Now, the way it was in those days is that if you were a farmer, you would leave portions of your field unharvested. And so those who were poor would come after the harvesters went through, and and they would gather up what was ever remaining in the corners. Uh, That was their way of providing for the poor of their community. We pick up the story in Ruth chapter 2, and it says, The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge so Naomi says to Ruth, go out and glean these fields. And Ruth found a place where somebody showed her favor. And she says to this person, whose name was Boaz, by the way, I have found favors in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, so get the picture, right? Ruth is saying, Boaz, you have befriended me. I'm not one of your servants. I'm not one of your hired hands. I'm not related to you, but you have provided for me. You have spoken kindly to me. You have comforted me by allowing me the best area of your field to harvest. And after mealtime, Boaz says to Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So get the picture. Boaz says, well, thank you for your kind words. Why don't you come over and have dinner with us? I'm going to have dinner for the rest of my servants who have been working all day. They've been harvesting all day. Why don't you come and join us? And so she does. And there was food that was left over. Well, we fast forward the story, a couple of chapters, and I'm leaving out a lot of details, but we discover that Boaz ends up taking Ruth to be his wife. And it's an amazing story because when their marriage was consummated, it says that the Lord enabled her to conceive and to give birth to a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Ruth said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May He become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And then Naomi takes the child in her arms and, and cared for him. The woman living there said, "Oh Naomi! Has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram, and Ram was the father of Aminadad, and Amminadad was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salam, and Salam the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. So here we discover an amazing truth. God uses Ruth, a Moabite of all things, to be in the lineage of King David, which is the lineage of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the earthly lineage of Jesus Christ himself. I want you to know God brings about friends, and friends provide comfort in our days of desperation. I want you to know we are told to comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Find thee, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You know, there is so much comfort in good, healthy friendships. And the Leadership Magazine... Author George Eliot wrote these words, Oh, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with the breath of kindness blow the rest away. Isn't that wonderful? When you think about a true friend, a friend is one who can measure your words and know when you're just blowing off steam and you didn't mean half what you're saying, and they can make that distinction, right? They're not looking to take every word that you say to use it against you. Uh, they understand that sometimes friends just have to blow off steam together, and half of what is said is not meant. It's just that they're going to air it with somebody. If you're married, maybe you can understand this. And sometimes my wife and I have these conversations, and, and something's going on, and, and, uh, and we're just throwing things like ideas against the wall, like jello against the wall, and half of what we're saying we know is not, not really meant. We're just kind of processing things, and we don't take it personally. That's what a true friend does. Douglas Mora was a 15-year-old from Missouri. He was feeling bad for several days. His temperatures was raging between 105, 103, and he kept suffering from severe flu-like symptoms. Well, his mother finally took him to the hospital in St. Louis and discovered that little Douglas has leukemia. The doctor told him in very frank terms about his disease. They said that for the next three years, he'd have to undergo chemotherapy. Now, they didn't sugarcoat the side effects. They told little Doug that he'd go bald and that his body uh, would most likely blow up and become swollen. And after learning this, little Doug went into deep depression. Just a fifteen-year-old kid. Well, his aunt called a floral shop and had Douglas sent an arrangement of beautiful flowers. She told the clerk that it was for her teenage nephew who was battling leukemia. When the flowers arrived at the hospital, oh, they were beautiful. Douglas read the card from his aunt, and then he saw a second card. It said, Douglas, I took your order. I work at the Bricks Florist. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm only 22 years old now. Good luck. My heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. Well, his face lit up, and he said, oh, it's funny. Douglas Maurer, was in a hospital filled with millions of dollars of the most sophisticated medical equipment you could imagine. He was being treated by expert doctors and nurses with medical training, totaling hundreds of years of experience. But it was a sales clerk at a flower shop, a woman making maybe $250 a week, who took the time and the care to write a little note that gave Douglas hope, that hope to carry on. You see, God gives us the layer of family to bring us comfort in our times of need, and God gives us a layer of friendship to give us comfort in our times of need. But there's a third layer that God provides for us, and I'm going to call this third layer the layer of forgiveness. And for this layer, I want to use as a backdrop a guy by the name of Joseph. I'm talking about the Old Testament Joseph, whose story is found in Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50. And as we look at his life, we discover that Joseph was a very special person in the Bible. As a matter of fact, nothing negative is ever said about Joseph. Oh, yes, we know that he was a sinner And uh, as we read between the lines, we know that he was a little bit on the naive side, I guess you could say, because when he was growing up, he was favored. Uh, He wasn't a number one child. He was number 10, but he was favored. Matter of fact, his dad gave him a coat of many colors. One day, Joseph had this dream that his brothers and their sheaves were lying down and, and worshiping him and his sheaves. Well, that got them all ticked off, as you can imagine. I don't know that I would have shared that dream if I was Joseph, but you know, sometimes you're naive and, and you don't even realize why you shouldn't do something. He just does. it. He just shares what is happening. And and then we learned that he had a second dream. And in this second dream, not only was his brothers bowing down to him, uh, lo and behold, his father was lying down before him. And so here we see, this is a straw that kind of broke the camel's back because Even Jacob thought that was a little bit over the top, but he still loved his son. Well, one day, Joseph is going out to check on his brothers. And as he's checking out on what his brothers are doing, they see him from a distance, and they say, oh, here comes that dreamer, right? And as they saw him in a distance, they began to scheme and begin to plot what they were going to do with Joseph. And they initially thought, well, let's take him and let's kill him. But they thought that might have been a little bit too harsh, and so instead they take him and they, they throw him into a cistern, and they leave him there. or Reuben, the oldest brother, was starting to feel bad about this, and he decides that he's going to go back and rescue Joseph. But he goes back to the place where they left him and and he was gone, and he discovers that his other brothers had taken Joseph and sold him as a slave. The Ishmaelites had purchased him for 20 pieces of silver, and they were marching their way to Egypt. Well, they decided to uh, cover up this crime by getting that coat of many colors and getting an animal and dipping the animal's blood in that robe and taking the robe back to their father. And we read the account that, that Jacob recognized his son's robe. And they said, well, some ferocious animal has devoured Joseph. Joseph was torn into many pieces. It says that Jacob tore his clothes, and he put on sackcloth, and he mourned for his son many days. And it says that he was in such deep anguish that his sons and his daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I will continue to mourn until I join my son. In the grave. So the father wept for him. It's okay, where does the forgiveness come in? Where do we find that comfort? And we see Jacob could not be comforted until he and his sons were forgiven. You know, one day a farmer, sheep, and pig had escaped. Together they had found a weak rail in the fence and they pressed hard upon it until it broke under the weight. Seeing their opportunity, they quickly bolted from the field and began to explore their new and unfamiliar surroundings. Well, it didn't take long for the farmer to notice that two of his animals were missing, and so he sets out to find them. But the animals had wandered far and had not left much of a trail behind them. Day soon turned into night, and after resting Fitfully, he started his search again the next morning. The animals had now been gone for more than 24 hours, and he began to wonder what could possibly have happened to them. It was in the afternoon of the second day that he began to hear in a distance that bleeding sound of his sheep crying out. He then began to follow the sound as he led toward a a nearby bog, and it was there that he found his missing sheep, his missing pig. Both had fallen into a deep ditch. Both had become coated in muck. Both were unable to scramble out. But where the pig had been content to just wallow in the mud, the sheep had known to bleat pathetically until the farmer came to the rescue to lift it out and to clean it up. Then said the farmer, If you ever are deceived into a sin, Overtaken by a weakness, don't lose heart. Go at once to your compassionate Savior. Tell Him in the simplest words the story of your fall and the sorrow that you fail. And ask Him to wash you at once. Ask Him to restore your soul. For if a sheep and a pig fall into a ditch, the pig wallows in it. But the sheep bleeds pathetically until she is cleansed by her master. Be the sheep, my friend, and not the pig. Oh, I have found so much comfort in receiving forgiveness and in giving forgiveness. Maybe the reason that you're struggling with forgiveness today is because you've never really been willing to give forgiveness to somebody. You know, when Jesus gives a model prayer, he makes it abundantly clear that if we don't forgive the trespasses of those who trespass against us, in other words, if we don't forgive the sins that are committed to award us, our Father in heaven won't forgive us of our sins. Instead of wallowing in that sin, instead of rehearsing and, and nursing that hurt that you were experiencing, why don't you forgive? And you're going to discover that two people are set free. You are rescued from that, that weight and that burden of unforgiveness, and the one that you forgive is also released. We've learned a lot about the layers of comfort that God gives us through family, through friendship, through forgiveness. The fourth layer is the layer of what I'm going to call the layer of faith. And I want to look at Isaiah chapter 12 for this particular understanding of how God brings us comfort when we walk in faith. Now, as we look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 12 is a a transitional chapter. Up to this point, Isaiah has been recording what is going to be happening to his people because they refuse to be recipients of God's forgiveness. And then we get into chapter number 12, and we discover that faith is interjected because of salvation. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away so that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord my God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Here Isaiah is reminding his people, and a reminder to us as well, that we have the faith for salvation, that is saving faith, but we also have the faith to believe that God is going to take care of us every step of the way. He says that we should be singing with a song because the Lord has become our salvation. It is with joy that we should draw water from the wells of salvation. In other words, the faith that saves us is the same faith that's going to sustain us. And it's not just about getting our ticket to go to heaven. It's all about living the abundant life right here on this earth. Isaiah here is talking about a future, a future blessing. You see, the Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. They who walk in faith will constantly be sustained. Oh, do you believe that God can take care of you? Do you have that confidence? Are you basing your life on Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply for all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus? Listen, it doesn't matter if it's a financial need, an emotional need, God will provide. you know this this week I was a little disappointed with myself because it seems like since the beginning of 2023 I've been inundated with all these these bills right and, uh, and then to add insult to injury, my air conditioning unit goes out and it's seven, thousand dollars to get it fixed and then and then I got hit with another uh, situation of a thousand dollar bill that I didn't expect and I'm getting hit with these things I'm said, Lord, how am I gonna make it? God came through and he always does have faith to believe. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. God will come through. Do you have the faith to believe that he can come for you right now in the midst of your biggest ordeal? Oh, I know he can and I know he will. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. And so I'm going to have to extend this into a third day. So join me tomorrow coming to the comfort." Oh, I'm praying for you today. If I can help you, please shoot me a text 252 267 2365. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com/1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.